All right. Uh, do you know this often overlooked historical fact? As I understand it, the Presbyterians were the first group of missionaries, and actually I'm wrong there, they were, there were other missionaries, who went into Korea. I think it was, a, it was actually in 1884. I looked all this up after I'd written this. Korea was considered extremely difficult. Uh, 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 let me start over. Korea was considered an extremely difficult missionary field. It had been basically a missionary graveyard for years. As I understand it, they devised a strategy whereby the first converts they were, had were instructed in depth in theology. As they learned their theology and understood the depths of the gospel and the primary greatness of the God of the Bible, their lives took on a distinctive difference in a very good way in Korea. They were the kind, gracious, loving people of the word of Jesus. They displayed Christ-likeness that was in sharp contrast to the rest of the Korean culture. Consequently, I found out Again, I was reading after I wrote this, but in 1919, the Korean Presbyterian Church numbered 64,000. That's in about, what, 30 years, 40 years? And uh, they um, ended up being, to this day, the strongest denomination in Korea. If you go into South Korea today, you will see mainly Presbyterian churches on every street corner. There aren't any Baptist churches to speak of there. We didn't do our job there. There's a few Methodist churches, but the Presbyterians way outnumber everybody else to the point where percentage-wise, that country is the most Christian country now in the world. You may not know that. They send out more missionaries than any other, percentage-wise, than any other country in the world. You don't know it, but there's Korean missionaries here in America. I've met some of them at different times. I believe this is one of the main reasons the devil went after Korea and split it between North and South. To picture, if you would, for the rest of the world to see a Christian South, and it's not totally Christian, don't, don't mistake me, there's still Buddhism and uh, syncretism and all other kinds of isms in there, but Christianity is, a, is very strong there. But then you have the atheistic North, and in, if you know a little bit about Korea's North, the North Korean country is the most uh, corrupt country in the world, and it's the poorest, one of the poorest countries in the world, and they starve their people on a regular basis. Sort of a picture of what Satan does. There's a vast spiritual warfare going on. I've mentioned this before, and I'm not going to go into it, but there's a huge spiritual warfare going on that encapsulates people, encapsulates nations. But because of what the Presbyterians did, South Korea is free, and South Korea is doing marvelous things for the gospel. Knowing good doctrine, good theology, makes a huge difference in the life of the believer and the life of the country. We were formed as a Christian country. I know you don't hear that all the time, but we were. 
We have three forms of government. That's taken from, I believe, Isaiah 33, 22, or 22, 33. I can't remember which one it is. But we have a king. Um, we have a, which is our president. We have a, an executive branch, which is our judges. Or, excuse me, we have an executive branch. Then we have the legislative branch, which is our um, Congress, but it's also in the scripture. It's, uh, it's like the uh, judges of the old. And then we have our uh, judicial system, which is oh, judges as well. I'm mixing all that up, but it's there. And it was formed under that uh, pretense in the scripture. Having excellent teaching pastors, I believe, was key to all that happened in Korea. They as I understand it, they discipled a few men and, and women as well, and they um, taught them deeply in the Word of God and in good, solid doctrine. And then they sent them out, and then they sent them out, and then they sent them out. Last week, we stopped before I had finished uh, the passage because I went too long. I'm sorry, I'm a little long-winded at times, most of the time. But um, sometimes the Word of God has all this stuff, and I just want to I just want to give it to you, and it's, there's a bunch of it. So anyway, I want to take this morning and look at those last couple of verses in 1 Timothy chapter uh, 4, verses 9 to 11 that I was going to hit last week, and then we'll pick up the last part of the passage. So I'd like to read, to put it in context, from 1 Timothy um, 4, 6 through the end of the chapter, and I didn't tell our folks there, but they'll pick it up here in, in the middle here. So... If you instruct the brethren, Paul writing to Timothy, if you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. But reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself towards godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is of that which is to come. Now this is where we'll pick up right here today. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. For to this end we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. These things command and teach. Let no one despise your youth but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come and give attention to, the reading, uh, to reading and to exhortation, to doctrine, do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all, Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. May God bless his word. Can we just pray for a second? God, we ask that you would enliven your word this morning, that you would speak to us from it, that you would encourage us, strengthen us, and uh, mature us from your word. Thank you for what you're going to do and say this morning. Um, have your way with us in Jesus name. Amen. So Paul is giving sort of the characteristics. He's talking directly to Timothy. We've looked at that. But he's given the characteristics of what it takes to be a good pastor and to take their church to the next level. Uh, Timothy's in Ephesus. Uh, 
I think Paul's at this time in Rome, and um, he's, he's trying to make sure Timothy succeeds. So he gives him this list, if you would. And I want to look at, there's five things I want to hit on this morning. I'm going to try to do them quickly. But uh, there are five traits that I believe a pastor should have that Paul was talking about this morning in, in this passage. The first is, in those last two verses, it's a pastor who exalts the Savior. The main emphasis of, of a pastor's uh, work is to bring glory to Jesus, first and foremost. Everything else falls in line behind that. So Paul reinforces what he's been saying up to this point by making the statement, this is a faithful saying. He's looking back at verse 8, which in essence, it says, for bodily exercise profits little, but godliness is profitable for all things. That's putting God first. Godliness is exalting Jesus in your life. And so godliness is, is, is characteristic or, or should be characteristic of a, of a godly leading pastor. It's good and it's positive. Um, in our society today, often in the media and all kinds of different places, you have godliness made fun of. It's scorned by our, our neighbors and by the people around us often. But godliness is a good thing. It's what we should all be striving for. It's, what, it, it, it's really what makes everything come together. When we're godly, I think what we're seeing that today in our society, we've, we've left godliness and we've gone to, now we call it wokeness. And it's separating us, it's dividing us, it's, it's bringing hardship. Godliness is a good thing. We need pastors who live out godliness according to the word, according to the Bible. Godliness is a word picture of a man who seeks the Lord and puts him first in all he does. Godliness is the, of the utmost importance in my mind. Look at verse 10. Um, Paul says, for, it, for this end, we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God. Paul uses himself and his companions as an example. His love and joy and excitement towards others is attractive. Others come to this. It's a kind of whimsicalness, I, I would call it. When when you're in love with the Savior and you put him first, there's an attractiveness to this. Your spirit wants to find out what makes this guy tick. That's faith. That faith in God helps them, that is you and I and, and the pastor himself, that faith helps them to be faithful. Faith in God always leads to faithfulness. Timothy was to be faithful in what he did. He was to be trustworthy. He could be trusted in what they could not see. He's pure and holy. That is, the Father's pure, or Jesus is pure and holy, and we're to be like him. That's godliness. Paul gives further commands. There's actually five commands in this passage that we're going to look at um, for Timothy. Now, I thought about this. Um, how many of you appreciate something, you know, well, your pastor, let's just put it there. How many of you appreciate your pastor coming up and telling you what to do? That's very countercultural to us. Um, my father, I, I started watching Band of Brothers. Have you guys ever seen Band of Brothers? And uh, my father was in the military and he told me a lot of stuff that he did and um, 
There was no questioning the commanding officer. So the culture after World War II was very much, you do it this way and you do it this way. Now we have a culture that's shifted to where everything's in question. Now I'm not saying that's good, bad, or indifferent, but I am saying look at where it's leading us. Paul gives explicit commands, and there's five of them in this passage, that Timothy is to do in order to take care of the church. And it's sort of a, well, when you look at it, I think you're going to wonder about it. But just keep that in, uh, it, it was a Roman culture then, and it was very much a militaristic culture. Uh, 80% of the population was slave, slaves, 20% were free. So when a, a free man told a slave what to do, he did it or he lost his life. It was that simple. So Paul is giving this strong exhortation, if you would, to uh, Timothy, and he's giving him some very straightforward commands. And, and you find one of them in verse 11. He says, these things command and teach. How many preachers have you ever <laughs> had stand in front of you and command you to go do something? <laughs> They may encourage you to go do something. But Timothy's been being told that this is what the church is to do, and you better do it or it's not going to work out. Now, I'm not saying that this morning. Y'all can question me and you have long discussions about it, and we can wonder. But do you see the difference? I'm trying to emphasize the difference here. Paul is, is giving straightforward commands to Timothy. And that's why he says that in verse 11. This these things command and teach. So he's to command and teach that. I think I ran past a page here. So, all right. Boy, I really ran past a page. Oh, excuse me. This, I printed this this morning. I wrote it yesterday. And um, so it uh, missed, oh, here we go. I was supposed to flip it over. All right, so here we go. Paul tells Timothy not to let others despise his youth because he was to live like a, a full-blown, mature, godly man. His actions will earn others' respect. His actions, his conduct must be characterized by love. Loving others is the key. And I believe having a loving pastor is absolutely essential. It just doesn't work otherwise. He's to love them in spirit. He's to love them with his heart. He's to love them completely. Not just by the Holy Spirit, but his own spirit of love and enthusiasm is to be evident to all around him. He's to have a loving enthusiasm towards other people, that whimsicalness I mentioned earlier. He's to have uh, love and joy and excitement towards others. That attracts people. It really does. This faith in God helps them to be faithful to him. Faith always leads to faithfulness. I said that a minute ago. But Timothy was to be faithful in what he did. He was to be trustworthy. He could be trusted in what they could not see. Therefore, he was pure. His character was evident in, in view when you saw him, as well as out of view when you didn't see him before God. So, verse 
12 says, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word and conduct and love and spirit and faith and purity. I'm not going to go down that whole list, but, but Paul is giving him a list of things that he's supposed to do, that he's supposed to demonstrate to his church. I believe that's a good list for us today. The pastor should be um, an example to the believers. He's to live as an example. That's not always easy. Pastors fail. What does he do when he fails, though? Does he apologize? Does he humble himself? Most pastors don't. Timothy was to be an example in, in those areas, in his conduct and love and spirit and faith and purity. And if he failed, he was to say, pray for me, brethren. I, I struggle with that. I'm having a hard time here. Timothy was also a, a, a good pastor if he exhorted his people. A pastor teaches through exhortation. I think it was last week or week before I was talking to somebody. I don't, I don't think it was here, but um, they thought that exegesis and exhortation were the same thing. Do you know what exhortation is? Exhortation means to strongly encourage, means to urge someone. The biblical word often used instead of encourage is exhort. And that definition adds even more emphasis once it's given. Exhort is, to, is a strong word. A, a, a preacher is to exhort people. I think it goes hand in hand with that whole idea of a command. Paul is exhorting Timothy to do this, to be a good pastor. And in a sense, he's commanding him, but he's also encouraging him. He's exhorting him. He's saying, go for it. Do it with all your heart. It has a sense of pushing forward. Apparently has origins in the Latin from thoroughly or, again, encourage. Paul wanted Timothy to speak strongly and to strongly encourage when he spoke. So Paul's formula, listen to this, Paul's formula for the, for the gathering of the church together was to read the scripture encourage and exhort from it for spiritual understanding and direction and growth in maturity. That's evident in what he keeps telling Paul to, or Timothy to do and then in other epistles. That's what you guys do here. I mean, think about it. We've been doing this now for over 2,000 years. Writer William A. Ward said this, the mediocre teacher tells... The good teacher explains, the superior teacher demonstrates, the great teacher inspires. I would encourage you, find a great teacher, or at least one who can be a great teacher. You may need to help mold him to be a great teacher. Encourage him, bless him. You see the mold here in this passage, the shape, but maybe... It has not fully developed in that person yet, and you can help them develop it. God has that for this church, I'm sure. He's looking for a, or he has already picked out for you a good pastor. You're the one looking for him. And he's going to give you one. He may have you a young Timothy who he wants to develop here for greatness. 
Paul calls on Timothy to teach them good doctrine. Now, you're good Presbyterians. You know what doctrine means, right? <laughs> doctrine is good, sound teaching. Christian doctrine, accordingly, is the attempt to state in intellectually responsible terms the message of the gospel and the content of the faith that elicits. That's a definition I, I got. That's not for me. But that's what doctrine is. It's, it, it partly has the issue of feeling good. It partly has the issue of connecting with God. But it has also the issue of helping us to learn how to behave properly, to walk in holiness so that we might please God. And see others come to Christ. Doctrine, as it is, excuse me, it is imperative that a good pastor or preacher knows and understands biblical doctrine and is teachable as it is a lifelong process to learn the word. It doesn't happen all at once. Um, I graduated from Dallas Theological Seminary. You know what the motto of Dallas, there's two mottos of Dallas Theological Seminary. Uh, the first is it's on our inscription across a big uh, marble thing in the middle of the, the, the uh, grounds of the cemetery. It says, preach the word. The second one is not written anywhere, but it's pretty evident. What's that? <laughs> no. <laughs> It says, you can tell a Dallas Seminarian a lot, or excuse me, you can tell a Dallas Seminarian, but you can't tell him much. We need to be careful, you know. When I came out of seminary, I thought I knew it all. You don't. I'm still learning. A, a good pastor is one who's grounded in biblical doctrine. He's got a hold of it, but he's still in the ad attitude of learning. He's a reader, he's a, he's a listener now in our day, and YouTube or whatever, podcast. He's trying to fit it all together under a biblical worldview. So important to have sound biblical doc doctrine. The consequence of teaching good, sound biblical doctrine is that the church, that is you and I, will grow in our giftedness, in our own ability to minister to others. So a pastor, through his teaching, should enhance us in our giftedness. Paul reminds Timothy in verse 14 of his own giftedness. He says, do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the eldership. Where did that happen? Did you ever think about that? When you read that, where did that happen? It happened in a church. The church laid hands on Paul and Timothy. Barnabas when he was with him. It was the church that did that. And the church ordained him. That's what we call it now, but I wouldn't call that then. But or the, the church said, okay, now you're ready. And he pushed him out into ministry. Sent Paul and Timothy off. And then Timothy was sent off in one sense by Paul. Because of this giftedness that was given by the church. Well, let me see if I can find my place because i got to turn the page here a second. I don't know what happened, but... I hit the wrong button when I copied it, so excuse me, but um, it's really mixed up. <laughs> Paul states that it was through the laying on of hands of the elders of the church that they were both a part of, 
Sound biblical teaching helps in one's personal understanding of how God wants to use you. God hasn't called everybody to be a pastor. Thank goodness. But he has gifted each and every one of us to do something in the body of Christ. And we're to find out what that giftedness is, and then we're to use it. One of the things that hit me after I'd retired was I knew God had called me to preach, but all of a sudden I didn't have an avenue to preach. I, mean, I was just a retired guy, you know, I was at home. I was growing a garden. I was, you know, doing what retired guys do. But there was this sort of, what's going on inside of me? I can't, I, I don't feel fulfilled. I don't feel like I'm complete, being complete. Last uh, October, before you guys ever even call me, standing in the worship service at uh, Mount Helena, and just as clear as day, God says, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use you to preach here for a while. And then you guys call. And I went, holy moly. And now, uh, in two Sundays, I'd really appreciate prayer for this, but um, the church in, that we go to when we go to visit my daughter in Lynchburg, they asked me to preach. I've never, I mean, I've seen that church since it was started in a fellowship hall. And it's now 1,400, 1,500 people with two campuses. And they asked me to preach. I went, oh, 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 Lord. I feel good about that. You know, when, you, when you're gifted, and I'm not saying I'm a great gifted pastor but, or preacher, but that's something God's called me to. And, and when I get asked to do stuff like that, I feel completed. When you get asked to enjoy and use your gift, there's something inside that goes on by the Spirit of God that makes you feel whole. It makes you feel good. And you need a pastor who will bring you along and help you learn what your giftedness is and then exhort you and encourage you to use it, whatever that gift may be. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, I'm, I'm assuming we'll get that one up, but um, Paul remembers his own call. In verse 1, verse 12, or chapter 1, verse 12, he says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. You know, Paul was motivated by his gift, but he had to figure out what it was. Look at uh, Philippians chapter 4. She'll put it up here in a second. Philippians chapter 4, 13, verse 13. Um, Paul understood his call. He says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. You may not know it how to use your gift, but I guarantee you if you'll just lean on Jesus a little bit, lean on the Father, he's going to show you how to do it and he's going to strengthen you and enable you to do it. He does that. Lastly, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 9 and 10, he says, For I am the least of the apostles, there's that humility, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Even though Paul was a great persecutor, he became a great apostle. Because God encouraged him and exhorted him to use his gift. Verse 10, but by, great, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. You know, y'all are fixing to call a pastor. Call one who's willing to work. Don't call a lazy man because pastoring is not for lazy guys. But also recognize they can work themselves as well. A lot of pastors are burned out. I did it twice. 
So the last thing Paul encourages Timothy, and I may have skipped one because of my notes, and I apologize. I just don't know what happened. I didn't look at them. I had people at the house this morning. I fed them breakfast, and then I came here. Anyway, the last thing that Paul encourages Timothy with, and a quality you should look for in your new pastor, is the issue of discipline. Discipline. A pastor who teaches through express discipline, I call it, he's disciplined himself so that he can give to you. It's not that he's trying to discipline you. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about self-discipline. And as we've walked, as a culture, as we've walked more and more away from a culture with form, if you would, we have less and less disciplined people. So you may have a hard time finding that. Look at verse 15 with me. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them. What's that? When you give yourself entirely to something, you have to discipline yourself to go after it. He used the word meditation. I always liked that word. He needed, Timothy needed the personal discipline to meditate on these things. Meditation comes from the same word that they use for a cow chewing the cud. You know what? Some of you guys are ranchers. How many stomachs does a cow have? Four, seven, six? Got quite a few. So you know how chewing the cud works? He eats it, the cow, then he swallows it. Then sometime later he regurgitates it, eats it again, swallows it, regurgitates it, swallows it. By the time it comes out the other end, there's not a whole lot of nutrition in it because he's regurgitated so much and meditated on it so much that he's got everything out of it. I believe, I've never seen a church do this, never, but I believe that you should have in your job description for your pastor that he is required to, time, to take time to meditate. Now, who will be the benefactor of that? Think about this. Who will be the benefactor if he takes time to meditate on the Word of God and then he turns around and gives it to you? You will be the benefactor of that. And unfortunately, and I'm not saying you guys do this because I don't know all this, you know, in your structure of your church. But I know as a Baptist, I got loaded up with so many administrative responsibilities that I didn't find time at times to meditate. And consequently, I'd go to the pulpit sometimes dry. And what you don't want is your pastor to come to the pulpit dry because he's exhausted because he's having to do all this other stuff. Paul encouraged Timothy, he says, meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them. I think of the, uh, you guys remember the, uh, the picture on the front of the Helena phone book of, I think it was the last national championship that Carroll College won, and there's this kid in the mud on his knees, and he's like, and he's just covered in mud, and you know what? He, he's just won, and he's given everything he has to it, and he's excited about it. He's given himself entirely. That's what Paul's talking about. 
going to give himself altogether to it with everything he's got. It takes time to do that. It does not happen in one fell swoop. Paul calls on Timothy to give himself entirely to it. Well, let me see if I can find my place again. I apologize for all this page turning. Meditate carries the idea of being totally and completely saturated in, th- in these things. And specifically what Paul's talking about is good doctrine. Consequently, as he masters these doctrines, he is to be subject to them. Not only is he to teach them, but he's to live them out. Totally dedicated to biblical truth, disciplined in the use of the word. Who gets the benefit of this? The church does. And in Timothy's case, if he does these things, the problem that he has, and I haven't hit this, but Timothy was a young man, and he was in a culture that revered old people. Sort of turned around, hasn't it? I'm 70, so I can say that now. But, uh, you know, it's all about youth in our culture. In that culture, they understood age and wisdom. And so Timothy's going into an older church, or a church that's in the midst of an older culture, a culture that venerates older people, and he's not being accepted very well. And Paul says the remedy for this is you meditate on the Scripture and you give yourself wholeheartedly to the scripture, and then you give that to your people, and when you do that, they'll forget about your age. I'm going to run this by you. I've thought about this ever since I started 1 Timothy, and uh, uh, I'll, I'll end right at the end of this. But um, Did you know that statistically, churches in America tend to be populated by people who are 10 years either side the age of their pastor. This is a statistical fact in America. So if the pastor is 70, like me, then the average church population will will be between 60 and 80. When I left Canyon Ferry Road, I was 62, and literally the average age was between 52 and 72. We leaned on being the old side. It's a statistical fact. There are exceptions, of course, but as there are for any statistic. I've tested this. Last, this uh, I've done this many times, but when I went to, um, uh, I went to Troy, Ohio from here uh, on August uh, 21st, I think it was, to a knife-making convention. I like to make knives. So anyway, I went to this thing, and I went down to Middleton, Ohio, to a church that I followed on YouTube, and I thought, man, this is going to be a fan. This guy's a fantastic preacher. going to be a fantastic He's 75. Walked in the church. Church sat probably 3,000. The balcony was closed. There was nobody up there. And on the, the ground floor here, you know, down basically eye level, I sat in the back, like all good Baptists do when they go into a church. And so <laughs> I, uh, I looked out, and I couldn't see anything but white and gray heads out across there. Now, eventually... Some other people came in, but I'm here to tell you the average age is between 65 and 85. I went, I've been going for years since I was literally this big to, it's called Church in the Pines in Alabama. They had an 80-year-old preacher come up that uh, Labor Day Sunday. Went down there, I was excited to hear the guy. Looked around, 
the music leader has been there for years. I know him personally. I asked him to be my music leader. I move up here and be my music leader at, at Canyon Ferry. Um, he's in his 60s. They had a quartet come up who were all in their late 50s, early 60s. They were great. And then they had this old preacher come up there. So I looked out across the congregation. There's over 800 people there. What did I see? Mostly whiteheads. You know, just like me. There's some kids there that came, you know, with their parents or grandparents or whatever. So then the last Sunday, we went to, with my brother, to a Methodist church in Anderson. Oh, no, excuse me. It was in E-Fall, I think, Georgia. It's a little town in Georgia right next to Lake Hartwell. My brother found this church, the Methodist church of all things. Almost scolded him for that. But uh, went in there and and uh, there was this white-haired preacher up there. He's probably about 60. He was, a, he was an old, he was a young whitehead. And uh, looked around the congregation. Now listen to this. We, we, we parked across the street. I walked across the street, and a white-haired man helped me across the street. <laughs> I, I, I went into the church, and a white-haired man gave me a, 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 you know, a program. I sat down, and everywhere I could see around me, except maybe three or four people, Shared my hair with him. You know, I mean, they all whiteheads. And uh, listen to this guy. He was a fireball. And I was so glad my brother's going there because he is, it's a sock. My brother's 62. <laughs> and if this guy's 60, I would dare say everybody in that church was between 50 and 70. So I'm telling you this because you have started this church. You have bled for this church. You have prayed for this church. You have given to this church. You want this church to succeed and go forward. You want this church to be a, a lighthouse in Helena. Don't call a 70-year-old man. Please don't do that. Call someone who's young that will attract young people. You mentor them and grow them and help them and encourage them. Timothy was a young man in a, basically a, a culture that revered older people. Unfortunately, we're in a culture that revers younger people as opposed to the wisdom of older people. Just play off that. Trust God with it. Find someone, and think about this now, find someone who will bring in a younger generation so that this church will succeed, so that all your blood, sweat, and tears that you put into this church will see its day 10, 20, 50 years down the road. Like the Koreans. Started in 1884. By 1919, 60-something thousand. That'd be all of Helena, wouldn't it? I believe this church can do that. Last thing, and I'm not going to get into this, but Paul says, take heed to yourself, verse 16, and to the doctrine. He goes back to that. Now, there's a real difficult passage right at the end of that. I'm not going to jump on that one right now about salvation. But he, again, he commands him. He reiterates, take heed of yourself and sound doctrine. It's vitally important that your preacher be a man of the book, that he preach the word of God, that he knows how to copy stuff off his... <laughs> that's that yeah, that's right. Golly. It was a, this is a disaster up here. Last thing I want to say to you is I want to challenge you to be Bereans. Take what I've said to you. Take the things I've said to you over the last few weeks and go back to the scripture yourself and find out, is this right? Is, is BG right? 
Has he been saying the right thing to us? You know who the Bereans were? Acts chapter 17, verses 10 and 11. It says, as soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now, the Berean Jews were of noble character, more noble character than those in Thessalonica, which they'd been run out of, by the way. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scripture, examined the scripture every day to see if what Paul said was true. If you guys be Bereans, you'll get ready for the man God has for you. And he's got somebody good for you, I guarantee it. And that guy will be set on fire when he comes to a church that's ready to see the word of God exalted. So, Lord bless you. Let's pray. Father, thank you.